we are just going to see how easy it is to speak about perfection how difficult to attain even a little drop of it perfection like many other terms used by shirobindo is again one of the most misunderstood ones many terms like for instance shirobindo has used the word synthesis and he makes it clear synthesis is not an indiscriminate combination whether one by one or simultaneously of the different paths of yoga it's not a little bit of gyan yoga bhakti yoga karma yoga hatha yoga raj yoga together he says such a combination will lead to confusion rather than synthesis another word which is uh, often misused common words harmony unity oneness these are very deep profound terms and sometimes when we use them casually we actually lose their real sense and purpose there is another word called transformation and nowadays we have transformational yoga courses transformational learning transformational programs god knows how many kinds of transformation <laughs> after the original one given by shirobindo and shirobindo as if anticipating all this a long back stated that um, i do not mean by transformation just some change of consciousness it's not like we go to a meditation session and we feel good of course the very fact of retiring from the humdrum of life makes us feel good so it's not that we are transformed beings experiences don't transform us they enrich the consciousness they are useful necessary but they are not what shobindo speaks of as transformation it's a radical shift where the needle shifts in such a way that it cannot fall back and as a result of this shift there is a change a radical change in the consciousness the mother is used the word reversal the surface seeing of life is replaced by another kind of seeing understanding acting which comes from within outwards and there are successive reversals and successive stages of transformation so in that series of misunderstood words another one is perfection even often even within the ashram context we often hear this word mother wanted perfection so by that what people are meaning is that everything should be in its right place that's order it's good it's not perfection it's it's good to have order order is very nice when things are organized when they are put in place when everything is in its right place in in the widest sense of the term also well it's a kind of perfection the way we understand but actually that's not what shirobindo is meaning by perfection he clarifies about mundane perfection religious perfection the divine perfection let's take a small little example in a in a town or a city or a village whatever in ancient times it was called there was a young archer and who 
had heard about a great master who was still alive and he wanted to be as perfect as that master. But he was driven by tremendous force of ambition to be a great master, to be acknowledged by everyone as a great master. So he practices archery and hits his mark till all the arrows hit right on spot, both static targets and moving targets. So then he challenges the master, the great master, to a one-to-one demonstration. And he says, look, I have become as great as you. So we can, why not, you know, people call you as the great master, but I am also quite great. So let people see who is greater among the two of us. So the great master, of course, naturally he says, I am not really interested. Leave it aside, child. Let's not get into this. But he insists. He says, okay. So they come to a field and he shoots all the arrows, static moving targets and he asks the master, come, now you show if you can better this. So the master says, no, not here, let's come walk. So they start walking. Master takes this young archer and along with him the whole entourage which has come to see the context. Uh, the contest. They go on to a bridge which is tattered and shaking and below it there is a deep chasm which is a river with all kinds of creatures below. And the master quite with ease walks over it and says, come my son, let's try it here. So this young man as he puts one step and the bridge dangles, he is terribly afraid that if I fall down what's going to happen down below. He is not able to remain focused in that condition. So, the master has, well, revealed to him where is the seed of imperfection and they move out. Essentially, most of the time because we are engaged only externally with the world, with the external world and with our surface consciousness, it's quite natural that we take that to be perfection, that this is perfection, whatever, if I can do everything outwardly very nice, it's a perfection. Well, as the story goes, one thief once came to a psychiatrist and told him, I need help. So he said, what kind of help you need? He says, you see, till now I was perfect in the art of stealing, but now there is a problem. He said, what is the problem? He says, there are burglars' alarms. So... <laughs> I get very nervous. So can you help me that I overcome my nervousness? (laughs) So next time when I go, I am able to do it with a perfect act. Well, that's one understanding of perfection. But obviously, this example is just to see, uh, this is a real story, by the way, of the thief. But this is just to demonstrate how mistaken we can be in our understanding of perfection. To have things in order in their place is important, very important. Mother has emphasized about it. There is no doubt about it. When things are put helter-skelter, when things are not in the right place, it causes confusion. It brings in spirit of disorder. And it applies not only at the material level, it applies at all levels. Very often we are thinking only of material level, that things are in the right place. Especially with regard to us human beings, very often everything done is right, but at the human level, at the human interface, things are not in the right place. So just even disorder can exist not only externally, but also inwardly. Once mother was asked, mother, what is evil? 
because in the highest state there is no evil that's the supreme transcendental state where evil vanishes so she was asked then what is evil so mother says evil is in relation to time and space so what is evil she says things are not in their right place and then she explains so beautifully my child this is what i have been trying nothing is where it should be and she says about human beings someone should be here but he is elsewhere another person should be at point a but he is at point c and it creates such a disorder and chaos in the world have we not so many times experienced it that i wish i was there but the conditions of the world don't easily let that be so there is a lot of disorder and chaos simply because things are not in their right place and one of the work one of the things that will happen as a result of the new creation and the shift is that things will gradually enter into that state or condition where they will find their right place this is one of the difficulties of uh, perfection so it's not only about outer it's also about inner but reducing the problem just to ourselves in this example as we saw that perfection is not only about external things but more important about our inner condition now this story is of course like all stories an over simplified thing because we don't have one single inner condition our condition varies from day to day from morning till night and one simple reason is that we are not one self but many selves within us at one point something is coming out at another point there is another part which has come out and exactly the same state the same act uh, derives its value and significance from the inner condition of our being shubindo in essays on the gita he reveals action and event have no importance in themselves but from the force that they express and the idea that the force is there to serve so what is the idea force behind an action that gives power and strength and meaning and significance to the action the same action i mean a common example is nowadays uh, you know we have lot of classes on um, personality development so people are taught right from how to stay neat and polished look impressive and most importantly and most disgustingly how to sport a fake smile on the face so you know <laughs> if one wants to see the quickest way of transformation just join one of these programs uh, not recommended <laughs> but uh, you will see how within 3 months the grumpy salesman comes out he's all smiling and the first thing he does when he greets you hello good morning sir how are you and in in his consciousness he is just wanting to sell a product he is trying everything to make sure that he sells his product and he knows if i smile if i appreciate as they call it that uh, in in hindi they call it topi pehnana you know give a cap so yes sir i hope you had a nice day so you are you know yes of course he is very nice to me wow what a lovely house now you know you are sold out by then <laughs> it must be tough you know if this is a lady it must be tough are you working somewhere it must be really managing this ha ah, yes tell me what product you have and you know within a short time you don't realize that he has made a fool of you with a purely external facade of appearance this is what mind does it deceives 
itself it deceives others and calls it perfection there is a little story about mother and shirobindo jaya devi jaya devi had come to ashram in 1928 and just as an aside there is a very little little interesting aside about her she she would cook sometimes dishes for shirobindo and once he told um next life i want to be a man uh, in 20s late 20s so shirobindo asked why she says you know men have so much freedom women are so much tied even to come here you know she had to really struggle so shirobindo smiled and said you don't have to worry about that times are changing in a way that there'll be no difference between man and a woman 1920s <laughs> one can't imagine what the lord was not only seeing but was doing so the story about this jayadi is that she was a bengali and bengalis are you know worshipers of durga so it is said that when she came she was going to rameshwaram uh, rameshwaram is dedicated to lord shiva ishwara of lord rama rama is supposed to have prayed there to shiva to make sure that he when he kills ravana it doesn't incur upon him any sin as was the understanding at that time because ravana is uh, all said and done though a fallen being but a brahmin in his origin so before he enters into that act he must purify and armed himself so that's rameshwara so when she came to pondicherry she stayed on and when shobindo asked him asked her are you not going to rameshwaram she said after having seen the living rameshwar who would want to go to the temple now this lady when durga puja came had this because every year it's something very sacred and you know women go they pray to durga even they put their sindoor with durga's feet um, the red altha painting on the durga's feet that may my husband be protected so i wonder why husbands don't ever pray for this but anyways <laughs> that's the sad part of the story so when uh, she durga puja came she said she prayed to mother and shobindo asked them if i can pray to both of you as we pray to durga so mother agreed so she came they were seated on a chair and uh, she put all the puja things and exactly it was quite an elaborate process and uh, after everything was over she bowed down received blessings and went away next year again she did the same thing third year when they both came and she started doing suddenly mother got up and said no she went away and shubindo also then she asked what happened and she says she realized that her inner inner condition actually it had become like a mechanical thing when first time she was doing it she was doing it because she was really feeling the need of praying to durga and well mother and shobindo were everything to her but year after year it becomes like a routine they are no more uh, that living sense is no more there they have agreed and it's something mechanical and then mother explained do you think that any divine being will really like all this to sit and be worshiped like this so she realized that there is a certain condition also there is a certain stage in which something is valid and another stage when the same thing is not valid so perfection itself is an evolving thing 
in the ancient um, indian concept of the four varnas the evolutionary concept where humanity moved through stages in its evolutionary progression for each stage there was a kind of perfection and through that perfection it could arrive at the divine and and for each one it was different there is a again a little story attributed to it that there was a man who was um, you know in a in a little village there was a little bit of um, hardship drought and nobody even the trees were exhausted so everybody was suffering so one day one lady coaxes her husband look uh, there is one way that we can get little bit of money nearby there is a temple and if you can just go there and maybe bring that idol somehow it will be great that's i believe made of some real wood and that would we can sell and get some money so the man goes and he says all right as he goes he is standing before the deity he said look i have to take you because <laughs> i need money so as he picks his picks up his axe to cut the deity into two and bring bring the piece of wood home the costly wood suddenly the deity appears and says look what are you doing he says well i need money he says very simple you ask me for it i'll give you money so he gives something and uh, he comes back now there is an understanding between the deity and this man that whatever you need you come and i'll give you so gradually the lady of the house grows rich and rich now everybody is wondering when there is famine around how is this family getting richer so the local village pandit's wife you know she has she finds out what is the secret so very reluctantly finally you know she reveals that look it is all because of grace of the lord so grace of the lord i am a pandit my husband is a pandit he doesn't get such a grace she says no 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 it is not like that uh, something happened and she narrates the whole story so now this lady in turn coaxes the pandit that look if god can give this to this uh, fellow you are a pandit after all he will much more easily grant you the boon so all that you need to do is take the axe <laughs> and go to him as simple so first he says no no this is not the way i mean i'm not supposed to do this what are you asking for the sake of a you know little bit of money but finally he consents so he goes with the axe his hands trembling and as he is with trembling hands wanting to do the same act suddenly he hears a thundering voice are you a fool and he you know <laughs> falls down and says i am sorry but you know i have seen tell the whole story and the deity says for that man's consciousness for his stage of evolution it was valid it was perfectly fine he is not as evolved as you for him life means only earning two square meals that's all so that's his world view that's his self regard and that's how he sees everything but for you he has who has crossed all these stages of evolution if you do the same thing that he is doing then the consequences are different and that's one of the lessons that one takes from mahabharata that shakuni and the kauravas do whole kind all kinds of things but for a long time they are spared till finally they meet their nemesis yudhishthir as far as we know made two mistakes in his life 
only two. One was when he put his wife to dice. 13 years he was banished to the forest. No small mean for his stage of consciousness that is not expected. And the other is when he tells half a lie, technical truth. He tells a technical truth that Ashwatthama is dead. And then he says, not the man, but the elephant, but you know, he's drowned in a din of uh, war cry and Dronachar, his father, sits and he's beheaded. So he technically told uh, truth, but basically his consciousness was not right. He, he wanted to kill. Of course, uh, eventually um, Krishna stood behind and took, took that shock because uh, of the kind nature of the struggle. But it is said that before that, his chariot would, when it would run, go a little above the ground and it suddenly touched base. He could no more claim to be that which he was. These stories, of course, are illustrative that perfection is not only an inner condition, it is also depends on the stage of our development. What is perfect at one level changes its meaning at another level. This is something we so often uh, experience as we grow through the process of integral yoga. That certain things which to which we were blind, which appeared natural, normal, absolutely fine. As we go to another stage, the very same things, we find that, well, how could I do this? It was so disgusting. The mother says at one place when she speaks about signs of vital conversion. So she says one of the common things about humanity is they love to be praised. And you know, sometimes we seek praise. Sometimes we are waiting for praise. Sometimes, you know, all kinds of things as human beings. Uh, you know, that's why it's so, they say that if you buy something, there is a problem with it. There is a sorrow that is tagged along with that footnote. If you buy this, a sorrow will drag you. What is that sorrow? We want to be appreciated, whatever we have bought. So this, um, th this kind of a, uh, inner state that we need to get into itself evolves. What is valid at one stage becomes invalid at another stage. And she says that when people look back about the praise, she says that at one stage people like to be praised. But when this vital is converted, the same vital finds it disgusting. At one stage, we find criticism very bad. If somebody criticizes us, we want to keep the person away from us. She says, but when the vital is converted, it's fine. It's, it looks at it from a very different standpoint that maybe there is something within me that needs to change. It doesn't take criticism in the way, in the initial phases we take it. So one takes it in a way that, look, if there is something in me that needs to be changed, maybe this is the way the divine is revealing it to me. And if, well, it is just one of those human opinions, then I need not care about it. So as we progress... Perfection itself changes. In other words, perfection is not a static, fixed thing. It is a constantly evolving thing. And to add to this complexity, two things happen in this process. One, as we become aware of a new part in us, perfection has to change. It's like, she gives an example, that it's far more difficult to achieve perfection when a person is complex than in a person who is very simple. But as we evolve, we grow complex. That's one of the results of evolution. 
She says, but when the perfection is achieved in a complex human being, it's far more beautiful than in a very simple human being. So a simple human being means he has few elements and the mother gives this example that if you have two, um, two cards and you try to put them together, arrange them so that they look good. Well, there are just a few ways we can arrange it. But supposing there are four, it's more difficult. If there are eight, it's more difficult. Now try using all the cards, 52 cards in a pack, plus the two jokers, they must be there of course, because they represent <laughs> the, <laughs> the, some part of human beings. So take these 54 cards and try to arrange perfection. It's going to be very difficult. Uh, we try it, then it collapses. We try it and it collapses. And that is the reason why there are cycles of civilization and they collapse. Yesterday someone was asking that if, if possible we can touch upon the concept of cycles of evolution. All the four yugas and then they collapse. They collapse. The reason is this. Because the more complex creation becomes, whether individually or collectively, the more difficult to achieve the perfection. And yet divine has taken it upon himself. It's just like the pack of cards. The moment the cards exceed a certain number, it collapses. You feel, oh, all my effort went for a waste, but not exactly. What has happened is we have learned something. Next time, it's not 12, but 20. Again, it collapses. Now we gain from that experience and we grow further till one day, all the 52 or 54 cards can be arranged in a way that is perfect. Now that's something fabulous. So... As we grow in complexity, perfection becomes more and more difficult. Shobindo writes in one of his letters to Dilip Kumar Roy that look, you say that fine, I want to just do simple bhakti. Are you really ready for that? He says, what about that part in you which has an intellectual seeking? What about the other part which loves music? What about a third part? And he reveals all the different parts of his being. He says, can they all get fulfillment? But if you go through this process of integral yoga, essentially that's why integral yoga is about the uh, fulfillment, the divine fulfillment in man. And there are two remarkable lines in Savitri. In one place he says, our smallest parts have room for deepest needs. Even the most insignificant movements, a simple thing like taking a step and walking up to the dais. It can be extremely graceful. I am not saying that I do it or can do it. But I am just saying that it is like can be graceful. It is something very small. One would say it is so trivial. And the mother speaks about it. Even in her life, some of them who saw her walking, sometimes even when she would walk fast, it was amazing. In the smallest things, in opening something, closing something, smallest things, there can be perfection from the total point of view. So smallest parts in us, when we will we'll read probably some lines from Savitri. The other one where Sri speaks about this perfection, where he says that eventually each part in us desires its absolute. That is the other problem of perfection. Now, in traditional yoga, the way of dealing with this is very simple and very often people try to, you know, what traditional yoga and Shabindu's yoga. Now, in a traditional yoga, we just pick up one part, we ignore the others. So, a person who takes the path of jnana, he stifles the emotions. 
He says emotions are a block. They have to be completely, uh, not only curved, but slowly they are a cause of problems and they have to be completely neglected, rejected. One has to grow indifferent to it, whatever the means. Eventually one uses one part of the mind and through it, by a constant dwelling upon a single idea, pierces some kind of a hole through the wall of consciousness and goes to the other side of boundlessness. But in integral yoga, this is not allowed. In one of the places he says, it is no part of my yoga to suppress even the senses. In certain yogas, one just uh, not only suppresses the senses, one distorts them. Sri calls it an asuri tapasya, where you know people mix uh, karela and uh, gulab jamun and eat together. That's not what is tapasya. Or some people sleep on bed of nails, thinking they are doing a great thing. That's not... Uh, because body must be totally uh, punished, whipped. That's how the asuras deal with the body. In the Gita it is said that um, the asura despises me who am lost in the human body. And Sri gives two levels of meaning. One is that the asura despises the avatar when he comes in the physical form the asura attacks him. He doesn't like him because he's come to establish a greater light and a greater truth. That the immediate sense in the Gita, it is revealed like this to Arjuna. Shubindu says there is another sense also that I, the divine, am dwelling in the human body. And then in the synthesis, he brings it out very beautifully. Krishna in the body has to be nurtured, fostered like a child. He is the Bal Gopal. That's the whole concept of the baby Krishna. That he has to be nurtured and fostered and not despised as the asuras do. So even these senses have to be refined, sublimated, made pure. As yesterday we heard Shadalu was explaining how there are, there is only, eventually there is only one sense, but it enters into different layers and therefore it becomes limited and conditioned to the medium. So if the medium becomes purer and purer and purer, there is nothing wrong in sensory engagement with the world. We don't have to shut the senses to find the divine. Amal Kiran. When there used to be meditation, at one time mother would have meditation in the meditation room and some people sat to her right and some to her left. And we were talking yesterday about Deva and Asura. So the right side represented knowledge and the left side represented force. And there was one person sitting right in front of her. So now I don't remember Amal Kiran was on the right or the left. But nevertheless, when everybody would close the eyes, he would keep, keep opening his eyes. And of course, he used to even look around. And he used to sometimes even doodle, make some nice little uh, sketches. And would even give them names. For instance, when Puraniji would meditate, he would... He had a very short neck. He was a hefty, you know, like a wrestler. And he would just lull like this and... He made a little sketch and wrote below, undermined by the super mind. So, you know, like that he would write. So, when people asked him, why don't you, you know, you what, what is it? You keep opening your eyes and, you know, looking here and there. He said, am I a fool? Mother is sitting right in front of me. I would rather see her rather than close my eyes and go inside. So, you see how it's it's... The very senses can share the delight of the divine. 
but it's a condition of consciousness it's like every part needs it our emotions no less than our thought they need they they are part of that grand plan they cannot be neglected ignored cast aside that no no we have to become unemotional people because emotions are bad emotions when they are turned towards the satisfaction of the ego they are bad just as thoughts when they center and run around the ego circle they are bad just as the will which is busy serving its own self interest and expanding the empire of the ego and satisfying desires it is bad bad in the sense uh, not from a moral point of view but from the yoga standpoint the mother speaks of the five uh, perfection relating to the champa flower i think it's frangipani narad please correct me if i am wrong champa is it frangipani the five psychological perfections yes yeah so it has we know that there are five petals to it and the mother has called the flower psychological perfection and to each petal she has attributed a quality and of course she says that you know these qualities change depending on the circumstances when she gives it to one person she is giving a set of five qualities to another person she may give another set of five qualities but in the certain context she names them as aspiration devotion faith surrender endurance of course they change also and then she defines each of them now imagine that suddenly the sense of perfection shifts inwardly we may be doing an act but is there an aspiration in it and then she says aspiration is about courage aspiration is about breaking new grounds into new grounds and something very interesting she says who is ready for integral yoga there are number of things mother has spoken about it one of the things he said integral yoga is specially meant for those who are not satisfied with the ordinary frame of humanity if one is very happy with whatever one is well no need to enter into this in fact the mother says never convert these people because they will lose their balance now here again we have the sense of perfection animals are perfect within their type till they meet a man they get many of the qualities both good and bad she has spoken about it when they come in contact with man so she speaks for instance about dogs she says how they learn this ability to deceive to please their master which is not there in dogs by nature because you know we often associate now dog with wagging the tail because you know you throw something since it's not there originally in dogs they are faithful but not the way but when they come in contact with human beings they learn to please so the moment the master is there it starts wagging the tail because human beings please their masters for benefits that they may derived so the dog's perfection is broken and he learns many things which is very unfortunate they learn to steal i had a live experience of this and of course i drew a conclusion that well evolution is taking place at all levels but one afternoon i got down from my room and suddenly i saw a monkey sitting on my dining table with certain things in hand first i couldn't believe it and uh, i didn't know what to do this fellow is looking at me as if i am an intruder <laughs> it was his house 
So I didn't even know how he has come because all the doors are closed now. Even if he has to go, there has to be a kind of escape route. So not only he is trapped, I am also trapped. <laughs> if it's a one-to-one between monkey and me, I stand no chance. So meanwhile, my son was coming down. I said, just hold on, this is a monkey. He couldn't believe. So he rushed for his camera. You know, that's how young sir. <laughs> then, you know, we were all looking at the monkey not knowing what to do. So, I tried to plead him. I even called him, hey Hanuman, you know, maybe (laughs) he will feel that I am calling him a god and he will listen. He looked here and there, then probably he realized, you know, by now there were three of us around that probably I am at the wrong place. But without the least trace of fear, from that little narrow space between Uh, you know, these uh, grills on the windows that we have in India, he quietly slipped out. I said, this is amazing. This fellow is evolving. He's becoming like a man, entering into people's house, opening the fridge. Then I heard that there were quite a few examples of monkeys doing it. Even they would open the fridge in one place. They took out things, took it, and then they went away. Of course, they left the mess for the, you know, person at the home to come and clear it which of course human beings also do we leave (laughs) somebody has to clear the mess my job is over so it's in contact there is an animal perfection which is absolutely valid they will not hurt and harm if you don't step into their territory but the moment they come in contact with human beings that is broken now the only choice left for poor fellows is to actually complete the full curve which is so difficult And this also is part of the total perfection. Everything is moving up the ladder. Similarly with human beings, there is a stage of humanity when we are very satisfied with this, with what we are. And the mother says, don't convert. Because, and these are especially people who are very accomplished. See, yesterday we were speaking about the monkey. Which monkey evolved? Not the one which was the best. The one which was just a little below. So when human beings like, you know, really who have achieved lot of fame in terms of external things, they are very difficult to convert. Convert to spiritual life. I'm not talking of conversion to a doctrine. Converting to spiritual life because they're happy within that. They are enjoying that empire of the ego. And if perchance they were to change, the mother says, oh, it will be very poor for them. Because they will be, suddenly they will lose their balance and they'll find it very, very difficult to acquire the new thing. Because the first thing that the demand of spiritual life is give up. Now you know, if you have nothing much, it's easy for you to give up. But when you have achieved something in life, your ego is, empire has expanded, then how much difficult it is to give up. When a young man in his 20, 21 or maybe even before that, I think 17, 18, went to Swami Vivekananda and he said, I want to renounce life. So Swami Vivekananda looked at him, top to bottom, then he asked him, what do you have to renounce? (laughs) So he didn't understand. He said, young man, go, earn one lakh rupees, then come back and renounce. Let me see when, if you can really renounce it. So what is there to renounce when, you know, there is nothing that we have to renounce. So there is this thing about perfection that from one stage of humanity where things are valid, 
perfect, even legitimate. Another place, mother says that human beings struggle with certain impulses inside them. And she says it's legitimate at that level. It's perfectly fine. She doesn't say it's bad or good or morally this, that. Often we overgeneralized. We had a, once a conference in, well, I won't say where it was. And, uh, you know, the people uh, had the subject for the conference, which was open to all kinds of people from everywhere. It was a general conference, not a conference of devotees, not a conference of people who are doing yoga. Anybody could come basically for health professionals. And they were suddenly fired with the idea of Mother and Shurabindo. And the, the person who was organizing, main person, and just a few group. But it was a general conference. And he said, let's have a conference on Brahmacharya. So <laughs> I said, you will end up teaching people either hypocrisy or you will end up making them run away. Because it's not for everyone. It's not an easy thing. Even people who take to yoga... The mother says it comes. It's not that suddenly the moment you enter into yoga, you become a brahmachari in every way. And the person was proposing to my uh, you know, horror, to the general humanity, that the way we can get over AIDS is by practicing abstinence. I said this would be fine in Gandhian ashram, but please be little rational. If you give such a doctrine, nobody is going to practice. As good as saying, please continue with your life as it is. We have a very nice idea to sell, but it, it, it will, they will not take us. So, mother speaks about this, that this is an impulse which is legitimate in human nature. And she says, when will it drop? When animality drops off. He says, we should not make it the center of a conflict and intense struggle. The moment one enters into sadhana, one makes it a center of struggle and intense conflict. And then she says, I am not saying that this is not a degradation and one should not evolve. But she's saying those who are humans must know they are humans. They should not pretend to be otherwise. How beautiful, how... I mean, the very idea of um, understanding yoga changes in that wide context. What is valid at one point becomes invalid at another point. Ego was the helper, ego was, was the bar, is the bar. The mother says, again, when we talk about offering, giving... She puts the same thing like Vivekananda speaks of earning one lakh and giving up. She's, she says uh, in another context that first become an individual. If you are not an individual, what are you going to give? What are you going to offer? So when we become individual, we make a mold. And she uses a very nice example. She says it's like if you have to make ice cream, not this ice cream that we have had yesterday, which is also fine. But in India, we have kulfi. I think I'm sure there must be some... Well, we have cones. So kulfi is you have a mold in which you put, uh, you know, whatever the recipe is, that content inside it, and then it solidifies. And then you take it out of the mold, and there is the solid kulfi. Now, I don't know why one cannot take it without putting the mold, but somehow it tastes better. <laughs> I have no, no logic why exactly, but it does. Uh, well, we can also add some ingredients in it. So the whole thing is that becoming an individual means, he says, that using our rationality, taking up the highest idea that we can conceive of, we must synthesize and organize our life around it. First, we must learn to exercise control of reason over our impulses. Otherwise, we run the risk of becoming infrarational and confusing it with going 
into the suprarational realms. So it's very important to organize our life at a very human level with reason. Now when life is organized with reason, when the animal in us is governed by reason, when we are not driven just by any and every impulse, when we choose by reason that this is what I need to do, this is what I don't need to do, then we have arrived at one level of human perfection. And then from there, when we surrender all this individuality that we have formed, then in this individuality, the divine can pour his consciousness, his light, his bliss, his peace, and transform it into a new humanity. So again, first become an individual, then lose the individual. Both stages are necessary. One cannot dispense with one for the sake of other. There is a story of Rabindranath Tagore in another context, but essentially symbolically true, that his secretary was also a very learned man, and when somebody came to him, he wanted his secretary's signature on the book. So secretary wrote, Know thyself, and signed it. So he went to Tagore also for his signature. Tagore saw, wrote below it, forget thyself. <laughs> and signed. It's important to become conscious. He says, first step towards perfection is, first we become conscious. Conscious of what we are, who we are, what moves us, what are the motives, what are the impulses that are behind us, why we did whatever we did. He says, this is an excellent preparation for yoga. The next step is we begin to choose. When I become conscious, this is the force, the vibration behind. Well, this I want, this I don't want. This is consistent with my aim, this is not consistent with my aim. Here I am acting under the stress of the ego. Here I am able to keep myself out of it. This is pleasant, this is good for me. So I begin to make a choice between shreyas and prayers. And that's how I organize myself, become conscious of myself. And when we are conscious and when we make an offering of this conscious individuality to the divine, then we are ready to enter into that perfection. And as we make that offering, then we aspire and then we seek all these qualities that comprise our inner perfection, psychological perfection, courage, aspiration, faith. He says it's so important because without faith we cannot take the next step. Devotion, surrender and endurance. If one is not willing to engage with oneself for a long time, perseverance, endurance, endure many things on the way, then it's better one stays away. It's a long path. Many things happen. Things which are very pleasing to us, things which are frightening. This is a battlefield. This whole process of perfection is not like one wishes it was like the blossoming of a flower. But it is not, unfortunately, because there are many things within us, many things in the cosmos, which deny, contradict. They do not want the light and truth to be established. And therefore, the whole process of perfection sometimes take, takes the hue um, of a battle. And one has to struggle through it, till eventually one arrives at that full blossoming. So this is the big road map that they have given. But even before we can go into that, just one last word. At its highest, she says, perfection is that all that we receive from above, the instruments below, are perfectly plastic and adaptable and receptive and open to it. 
and the, in the process of recepting and transmission, there is no degradation at all. She says this in one of her prayers, that each of the great asuras, we come back to the asuras, who have chosen to participate in thy work, wants to keep some of the forces it receives to itself. And then he says, not in the origin and inception, but in the transmission. Some of these beings have chosen. Okay, so divine gives them the energy to change. But what they do is, they hold some of this energy for self-aggrandizement of the ego. And how thin a line this whole process can be. So all the instruments, right down to the physical. There is a prayer of the mother, the last prayer in prayers and meditation. She speaks of from the highest heights of a being to the smallest cells of her body. Should be open, receptive, perfectly adaptive and transmitting everything freely. We come so far removed from our idea of perfection means arranging things neatly. In one place, just to close this with a little vision of the mother, the supramental ship, where she sees that when people were allowed to pass through, who is ready for the supramental change and who is not. She is shown that it did not depend at all on our moral and ethical idea of things. She says, when those who were allowed to pass through, they were seen and the substance of consciousness was scanned like a scanner. When we go to the airport, there was a scanner with these beings. They scanned the consciousness. Some were allowed to pass. Others were told, you have to return back and get ready. And the mother says, I was observing very closely. And, I, and she says, I saw it did not depend upon more, our moral notions. And then she laughs, oh, our moral notions. And she says, when I got up, I felt very amused. I was still laughing. She says that. So what did it depend upon? The disciple asked later, because the mother at that time did not say. She said, well, it depended, depended on a certain condition of consciousness, rather a state of consciousness. And she says, two conditions. One, perfect equanimity in all the parts and planes of the being. Second, perfect plasticity to truth. Actually, far more difficult than moral and ethical. One wishes that she would have just said, if you are morally good, it's enough. She is asking us for something which is far above the moral and ethical. And then she says, adds, my child, I have seen. If there is even a little disturbance in the being, the supramental vibration cannot be transmitted. That takes up yesterday's that question, Shurabindo. Why... He could not, there are no instruments for supramental consciousness. Because it needs perfect equanimity. She says, even if there is a little disturbance in the being anywhere, I have seen by experience, mother is obviously, she must have tried to transmit this vibration to many persons. She says, I have seen the supramental vibration cannot be transmitted. And the second thing she of course said, plasticity, infinite plasticity, the capacity to grow vaster and vaster, to be receptive and change depending on the demand of the truth. Truth is not a fixed narrow thing that this is true. It's not like that. It evolves, it changes. There has to be an infinite plasticity in the being, a vastness. Without that vastness, there can be no perfection of the higher kind. So we will... 
pause with that but we'll read from Savitri just one stage of that perfection a first perfection and this perfection is of course the psychicization of the being and Shobinda has described it very beautifully what is psychicization that means everything governed and influenced by the soul he says that means everything is open to the soul and acts under its guidance bringing a right vision in the mind right emotion and feeling in the heart right will and impulse to action so at all levels even in the very body it brings the sense of the right and the light and then further he says along with devotion gratitude surrender which are the normal accompaniments of a psychic change so this is book 7 canto 5 the emergence of the soul and how it works upon each of these centers opens them to their own divine possibilities right now all these centers are closed blocked into a small little narrow circle of the ego but when it opens under the irradiations of the psychic what happens to them all underwent a high celestial change. Effacing the circles of the ignorance, powers and divinities burst flaming forth, each part of the being trembling with delight, right down to the physical, one can experience this delight of being, lay overwhelmed with tides of happiness and saw her hand in every circumstance and felt her touch in every limb and cell. She speaks of aspiration in the physical for the divine. The very body must give itself to the divine. Want nothing else. And she says then the body is able to experience that touch. It's so difficult. Everything can experience that delight. And then at each level, what happens? At the level of the mind, the immortal's thoughts displaced our bounded view. The immortal's thoughts, earth's drab, idea and sense. All things now bore a deeper, heavenlier sense. Spontaneously, we don't have to tell someone think positive. By the very fact that one is the mind has come under the influence of the soul, one gets thoughts which are rushing towards the immortal. Great ideas unleashed from large spaces of time, descending into the human mind from wide tracts of infinity. Sun belts of knowledge, moon belts of delight. And they enter the mind, the mind is open to that light. And spontaneously it is full of all the light of immortality. What happens in the heart and the will? In the will, a channel of the mighty mother's choice, the immortal's will took into its calm control our blind or erring government of life. A loose republic once of wants and needs 
life now obeyed to a diviner call. So there is in us the parliament house where the speaker sits silently because nobody is willing to listen to him. I don't know why they have called him the speaker. So the soul is sitting, nobody is to listen to it. And everything is loose, republic of wants and needs. Behind all the bills that are being passed, every minister is thinking about his vote bank. How I can make more money. So this is our inner state. When the change comes, spontaneously life begins to obey diviner's rule. It's a natural change and every act became an act of God. In the kingdom of the lotus of the heart, what happens in the heart? Love chanting its pure hymenial hymn made life and body mirrors of sacred joy and all emotions gave themselves to God. God is the master, God is the teacher, God is the Lord, God is the father, God is the mother, God is the friend and playmate, God is the divine beloved and the supreme paramour. That's how one begins to see the divine. All relations, that is bhakti. Bhakti yoga is not singing bhajans and jumping and dancing. The more louder we sing, the higher we jump, that's not bhakti. It's often show and drama. Bhakti is when all our relations eventually run towards God and find their consummation in it. It's something very deep. When Draupadi goes to heavens, she is asked by Savitri, how come you are also regarded among the great ones? So she says, why, what wrong have I done? She says, did you, did you not marry five persons? She says, yes, so what? He says, but uh, I am told that you loved uh, Arjuna more than others. He says, uh, all kinds of things you are reading from all the modern version, but you don't know what I have really felt and whom I have loved. He says, isn't it true that you loved one person more than others? He says, yes, that is true. In fact, the truth is I loved only one person. He says, then how come you married five and you loved, so either ways, by the very fact you married five and love five person, there is a dosh inside you, imperfection inside you. And if you loved one of them more than others, then obviously it's a very clear imbalance. How come you are regarded as among the sacred ones? She says, well, you won't understand. You had come to establish another kind of ideal. Even in earthly life, even with one person to establish that divinity, I came to establish another kind of ideal. In my heart, there was none else but Krishna. I loved only Krishna. I got married to five because Krishna's command was there. So that is another kind of state. All emotions gave themselves to God. In the naval lotus, broad imperial range, its proud ambitions and its master lusts, were tamed into instruments of a great calm sway to do a work of God on earthly soil. Best way to tame ambition, to change it, to transform it, this part which is ambitious, turn it towards God's service. The monkey will immediately become quiet. Instead of expanding its own empire, it will fight to establish the Lord's kingdom in Lanka 
So this is how the divine works on each part of a being. But still further down, in the narrow nether center's petty parts, its childish game of daily dwarf desires was changed into a sweet and boisterous play, a romp of little gods with life in time, in the deep place where once the serpent slept, referring to the Kundalini, there came a grip on matter's giant powers for large utilities in life's little space. So even the elemental energies, the powers that govern the material universe, they come spontaneously under the governance of the divine. What does it mean? Whatever one needs at a given point of time will come. That daily dwarf desires. Oh, I want this. Oh, how nice if I have this. If one needs, it will come. That's another kind of law that begins to operate. A firm ground was made for heaven's descending might. This is the perfection. Marriage between earth and heaven. And a happy marriage. A marriage which is not full of turbulence and storm. And then Shurabindu says, A divine puja then takes nature's place and pushes the movements of our body and mind. Possessor of our passionate hopes and dreams, the beloved depot of our thoughts and acts, she streams into us with her unbound force. The great descent then begins to take place once the psychic has turned the nature towards the right and the light. Into mortal limbs, the immortal's rapture and power an inner law of beauty shapes our lives. Spontaneously, all grows beautiful because thou art. Our words become the natural speech of truth. At one place, Shabindo says, if someone always speaks the truth, then he develops such a power in his consciousness, whatever he speaks comes true. It is a tapasya of speech. The Gita also speaks about the three kinds of tapa, tapa of speech. If one always speaks the truth, there is such a power that whatever one speaks, that was the original idea behind uh, Ashirvad by, you know, uh, great masters. Now, of course, it's lost its meaning. Everybody gives uh, blessings to everyone. <laughs> but if there is a consciousness of truth inside, then if one says, Vijayi Bhava, may you be vic- victor, then victory will, all the forces will begin to conspire because the person has never told a lie. So, how can his word turn into a lie? Each thought is a ripple on a sea of light. Then sin and virtue leave the cosmic lists. We are not struggling inside, oh, is it right, is it wrong, am I doing the right thing? Because spontaneously the psychic will show to us what is the thing to be done, the way to do it and the time of doing it. They struggle no more in our delivered hearts. Our acts chime with God's simple, natural good. How difficult to become simple out of the complexity. Or how easy just to touch base here and let all be governed by that. Our acts chime with God's simple, natural good. Or serve the rule of His supernal right. All moods unlovely, evil and untrue. Forsake their stations in fierce disarray 
and hide their shame in the subconscious dusk then lifts the mind in a cry of victory o soul my soul we have created heaven within we have found the kingdom here of god his fortress built in a loud ignorant world in the slow process of the evolving spirit in the brief state between a death and birth a first perfection stage is reached at last this is the first perfection not the last out of the wood and stone of our nature stuff a temple is shaped where the high gods could live that's why we see in indian temples plenty of gods especially the south indian temples rich and ornate full of gods right from the entry point even some of these temples will also contain figures which look like demonic but that's a even grander vision on the outside surface you will see that as one goes inside all layers they are crowded with temples but in the center there is a central deity it's a very profound symbol the south indian temples a temple is shaped where the high gods could live even if the struggling world is left outside one man's perfection still can save the world so 5 minutes if any quick question we can take otherwise we have at night question answers yes please mother would have stayed in paris we would not be here something took her to india we read about that could it be that she we believe in incarnation she's an incarnation of somebody great knowledgeable because she had this knowledge she was way ahead of her time and if she was incarnated would you know she would she would know who it was or where she came from and we need a person like her again will she come back <laughs> it's a very very beautiful question it touches my heart <laughs> as to who she is it's best left to each one's faith and revelation to some she is a great being very knowledgeable as you rightly put indeed so knowledge non knowledgeable that the knowledge of not only all the three worlds but of the worlds beyond she carried within her lonely heart so knowledgeable that the past present and the future were revealed to her so indeed knowledgeable in the truest sense of the word who could such a being be who could one be in whose single consciousness all the great gods in her single body dwelt even as a child she would experience the onrush of mahakali and you know those cosmic beings who would guide her at the age of 2 she would feel that that light is pressing upon her head and when her mother said it seems you are sitting as if the burden of the whole world is on you she says yes indeed at the age of 11 to 13 which is documented in her prayers she is experiencing that she is rising high above into the sky and her robe is spreading wide and wide and wide into the 
boundless universe and many persons are crying to her some seeking solace some help some this or that they want to just touch her robe and feel strengthened full of hope rejuvenated illumined this is the experience of cosmic consciousness which yogis would die to have at 11 she is experiencing this as if it's a child's play and then not only that she goes further she is meeting all these great beings great masters in one of her prayers she has documented meeting sakyamuni buddha who communicates to her then she is uh, there are prayers where very clearly she is communicating with christ and then she meets one being whom she calls as krishna she is not exposed to indian mythology and she calls him krishna with whom she forms more or less a permanent relation much later she discovers the krishna of her visions is nanels patshur bindu what is this mystery which extends far beyond time who is she she has revealed to us some of the elements of a past and it's not that she was born or incarnated like that it could also mean that she was as the active force behind these one of them for instance is john of arc and another one on this side of the globe see how they cut across all boundaries we have boundaries so the same one who was john of arc in one life was also mirabai in another life we are going to see i think tomorrow mira's play what an amazing and to champakalal ji it one of the places when champakalal ji says uh, mother i have a feeling that i was your son in one of the previous lives but someone has told me that i was a great rishi's son in the upanishadic times so the mother smiles and says how do you know i was not that rishi <laughs> now what about the future very simple in the previous lives both mother and shurbindo this was asked to them in this life you are an avatar what were you in previous lives what were you doing shurbindo said carrying on the evolution and then he says in the previous lives we were as vibhutis not as avatars now what happens the moment that whole line arrives at the avatarhood the full blown avatarhood then there is no more coming again into that way but simply they remain in the earth as a permanent influence and as a presence and this presence as the mother has said shrobindo is with us not only as a consciousness which guides and illumines but as a dynamic presence which is moving us now this journey of the avatar the next millennium has just begun thousand years they have given us a project all of us are on dbm project divine not i ibm but <laughs> divine business management this project will last for at least thousand years all of us are somewhere or the other part of that there are no positions in this project mother has said i don't give positions to anyone i give only work we had such a nice thing yesterday with naraj bhai <coughs> she gave work she gives works to everyone she doesn't give position the moment we feel she has given me position <laughs> i am digging a big grave right below my feet no positions just work and no work is greater all works are same 
done with dedication, they will arrive at the same perfection. A person may write books but be puffed up with ego. Give plenty of lectures and feel how great I am and he is going down and down the ditch. Another person may be silently listening and just sitting and listening in the audience and feeling thrilled because something of the mother is being said. He is arriving at perfection. Look how wonderful this journey is. So, future, what she will come about Shurabindo she has told. She says, I always knew that Shurabindo was the last avatar, but the last avatar in a human body. In the series of ten incarnations of the Lord, we see that Kalki who brings down uh, the kingdom of heaven upon earth, they include, we spoke of the five avatars yesterday, then further Rama, Krishna, Buddha, Christ and Shurabindo. So Christ tries to bring down the kingdom of heaven upon earth and eventually that is fulfilled in Kalki. Krishna wants to bring that consciousness of overmind and eventually the supramental descent. So they culminate a whole line of human evolution. And then she says, beyond that we shall see. And then she says, Sri Aurobindo would be born in the first supramental body created in the supramental way. And she has talked about that also, that how will that supramental body be revealed and how many years and why, how people will see, but that will be going into probably too much right now. But definitely they are there. Mother has beautifully said, Shurabindo is there amongst us and he reveals himself to those who are ready to hear and listen to him. So I am sure, but of course this revelation will not be on the house once in a while, once, I mean, how much our consciousness has to be prepared inside. And this revelation is not only that I see a vision. This feeling that she is, in fact when mother was asked that, how do we know that you have initiated someone? This question nowadays people ask. How do I know that she has, I have been initiated into this yoga? There are no external initiation here. The mother says, when I say that I have initiated someone, it means I have revealed myself to that person. It's an inner revelation. Suddenly something breaks open and one says, aha, that's it. This is it. I have found it. There are so many ways this revelation can take place. So she and Shurabindo, they are revealing themselves and their mystery, their work has just begun. It just, we have entered into it. As the centuries unfold, we will see more and more of humanity opening to that greater light in many ways. Not in one way, but in many ways, because this is not a religion or a cult, but in many ways it will open to that great idea, to that great light, to that evolutionary leap, to that transition, and this is what we are going through. And to each one of us, she will reveal who she is, as and when she feels, she wishes.